right. Okay, we're gonna uh, take a look today at Romans chapter two. I'm gonna read the first 11 verses. And uh, so as, as we read this, let me give you a little bit of context. So um, Paul is writing to both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And, but mainly what he's, he, mainly he's talking to Jewish Christians because there was a perception among them that because they lived in covenant, because they were a part of the, God's chosen people and they were living in this covenant with God, that what they, how they lived didn't matter. And so they were just free in their sin. They were thinking, you know, we're covered, we're good, we're chosen, so we can just do what we want. And so if, if you understand that, then this will make a lot more sense to you. So, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. So, so Paul is saying uh, to these Jewish believers, you're, you're judging your Gentile brothers, uh, but you're doing the same things they're doing. Uh, but you think you have some kind of special dispensation that you can just do whatever you want. And, you know, you know the truth is, whether, whether you're Jew or Gentile, uh, believer or unbeliever, we have a tendency to dislike our own sin when we see it in someone else. And so that's some of what's going on here. Now, we, we know uh, that we live in an age when people don't really like to take responsibility for wrongdoing. <laughs> I mean, if you've been awake, if you've been conscious at all uh, in the last five years, you, you've realized that we would rather make excuses or we would rather create a scenario where nothing that we do is, can be judged or scrutinized, but everybody has um, the right to do whatever they want to do. So we are quickly approaching uh, what scripture calls in, in Judges 17, uh, every person did what was right in their own eyes. 
Now, what, what the Bible teaches us about that is that when you do what's right in your own eyes, the end of that is death. And so that's kind of uh, where we are in our current culture as we continue to look at kingdom of God versus the culture of the world. The current culture is rapidly progressing towards this idea uh, that there are no standards. Everybody just creates their own world. Uh, and you create the rules for yourself and you do whatever you wanna do. Uh, John the Baptist came into the culture that he lived in preaching repentance. He said, repent uh, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Jesus then came saying, except you repent, you will likewise perish. And then following Jesus, all of the apostles, uh, the disciples that he gathered and then sent, they all went about preaching a gospel of repentance. Repent of your sin and turn to God. Uh, now, we need to understand that Jesus doesn't call us to repentance because he wants us to be sad, okay? He doesn't call us to repentance because he wants us to feel bad about ourselves. Why do you think Jesus calls us to repentance? He calls us to repentance because he wants us to live. And apart from repentance, you can't have life. And so that's the call. Uh, no one has ever been saved apart from grace. And you can't have grace without repentance. When we truly know Jesus and walk with him, we will live in what I would call really a perpetual state of repentance. Because you will, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you will realize how different you are than him. And that will cause you to repent. You're not repenting, you're not weeping and wailing over a specific sin necessarily, although that sometimes occurs. But more than anything, this state of repentance that we live in is you're bemoaning the fact that you are so far away from the goodness and glory of God. Our goal in this life is to become like him. We want to, with every day that passes, become more and more and more like Jesus. We, we were, Melissa and I were together last night with a group of folks that uh, were in college when we were in Athens during the 90s. And we saw them come into radical relationship with the Lord and, and chase after him during those college years. And it was so encouraging for us 25 years later to gather with them and see that same fire. And, and really, for most of them, an increased fire. This is not supposed to fade, y'all. Your, your Christianity, your, your love for Jesus, your passion for him is not supposed to peak at youth camp when you're 16. It's not. It's supposed to start in those early years and just increase uh, with every day and every year that passes from then on. So our, our goal on earth is to be more like him. There, there was a story uh, years, years and years ago during the time of Alexander the Great. Apparently there was a, there was a soldier who left his post. He deserted his post and, and, and ran away 
and he was retrieved and brought back to Alexander the Great and put before Alexander. Now, the expected uh, result was that he would be executed, but they, they placed him before Alexander the Great and, and ha gave him an opportunity to give an account for himself. And the first thing that Alexander the Great asked him was, what is your name? And the young man, the young soldier said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great's response was, young man, either change your behavior or change your name. Either change your behavior or change your name. And I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look at us and say, young man, either change your behavior or change your name. You call yourself Christian, act like it. You say you're a Christ one, a follower of Jesus, act like it. So, sometimes, y'all, there's a credibility gap. There's a gap between what we say we believe and how we actually behave. And Jesus came calling people to repent, uh, to repent of self-sufficiency, uh, to repent of self-righteousness, and to confess our need for him. Now, our need for him doesn't stop because we pray a prayer. It's, that's the beginning of our realization that we need him. And, and we need him not just to save us in a moment, but we need him every minute of every day. Uh, we need him to walk with us and to lead us. Uh, I think that sometimes we think, you know, Jesus has called us to follow him, right? But sometimes we almost act as if being a Christian is Jesus being invited to follow us. You know, God, I'm, I'm living my life over here and I would love for you to come into my life and help me do what I'm doing. But in fact, the reality is his invitation is, I want you to forget about your life. In fact, I want you to lay your life down and I want you to join me in my life. I want you to follow me. If Jesus were to walk into this room right now in human form, there are some of us who would like to think that we see Jesus come in, that we would cheer, we would yay Jesus, right? And we're, I mean, we're on team Jesus. And so we're, we see Jesus, we wanna go yay Jesus. And then others of us are, you know, we, we would say, no, that's really not how we're going to respond. If Jesus walks into the room, we're more than likely gonna fall on our faces and worship. I, I would say that there's a good chance that if Jesus walked into the room in human form, that the response of most of us would be to squint and look and ask ourselves, I wonder if that really is Jesus. I'm not so sure. And that's how different he is than us. And it's probably how different he is than we even think he is. Uh, he's so much better than we expect. So much higher and greater uh, than we can even imagine. Uh, it's been said that God created us in his image and we returned the favor. Uh, we have 
made Jesus a lot more like us than he is. Now, obviously, he is like us in certain ways. Uh, he took on human flesh and lived as a man. He was tempted in every way. But there's, there's a huge, huge, huge difference between Jesus and us. And it starts with the fact that he never sinned. Uh, and we, we have, and we do. We need to be changed. And we can't change ourselves very well. And I, I don't know if you have tried, uh, I have tried. Uh, it's difficult to change yourself. It's, it's not impossible to change yourself. Uh, you can change certain things uh, but if, if you're talking about changing your heart, good luck. You, you just can't. But we can surrender to his process. There's a process that he uh, wants to invite us into. And, and if we will stop running away and stop rebelling and stop resisting, he will bring us into a life-changing process. And a part of that process is really living in this constant place of repentance where we see who he is, we see who we are, and we constantly are surrendering more and more and more of ourselves to him. We, we kind of tend to vacillate in our walk uh, with Jesus between a place of being really hungry and deeply wanting to know him and be known by him versus uh, wanting to hide from him. And it's just a part of our, our human weakness. Uh, when we feel really good about ourselves, we wanna lean into Jesus. And then when we mess up and maybe feel bad about ourselves, we just wanna run and hide. But he wants to invite us into this process of sanctification and, and transformation and he wants us to know that, that he loves us and wants us at our best and at our worst. And so God calls us to repent. And, and repentance is more a condition of the heart and the mind uh, than an action. Now, it leads to actions. Uh, but repentance, first and foremost, is a shift, really, uh, in our thinking. Uh, repentance is our recognition and acknowledgement of our lostness and our need for grace. That, that's where repentance starts is when we see, oh, okay, I'm missing something here. And it's something that I can't supply. It's something that only God can supply. And so I actually really need him. That's where repentance starts. It, it's a way of thinking that leads to action. Repentance and grace are very closely related. Uh, they're not the same thing, but you can't have one without the other. Uh, when you believe God, you repent. And when you repent, you believe God. And so this repentance and grace are just deeply connected. Harry Ironside was a, a pastor, uh, an author, a preacher in the 30s and 40s. And, and he said this, no one repents until the Holy Spirit produces repentance in the soul 
through truth. Hear that, through truth. No one believes the gospel and trusts in Christ for salvation until they see themselves as a sinner in need of grace. This is repentance. It's not a human work. It's something that God initiates in us. And repentance is always, uh, at least in our context as believers and, and those moving from uh, being without faith to having faith, repentance always is rooted around truth. You hear the truth and you realize that there's a difference between what is true and what is not true. You know, we live in a world that would like for you to believe that there is no such thing as truth, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. But ladies and gentlemen, guess what? There is truth and there is absolute truth that is, is laid out for us in God's word. It is witnessed to by his spirit in our hearts. There is absolute truth and it is that truth that separates us life and death. And that's really what repentance is all about. It's bringing us to a place where our eyes are open to what is true and we realize that at its core, the foundation of truth is that we are sinners and the only, we, we can't save ourselves and the only way that we can move from death to life is by putting our faith in him. That is the core of truth and that is the thing that repentance will open our eyes to. So let's talk about uh, what repentance is not. Uh, repentance is not penitence. You're familiar with penitence, Penitence really is, is more of a feeling. Penitence is feeling sorry. Penitence is what you experience when you feel guilty. I'm penitent. I feel sorry. Now, sometimes we're sorry. We don't really necessarily want to change. We're just sorry. Uh, maybe you're sorry you got caught. Maybe you'd do it again if you knew you, you wouldn't get caught, but you're just sorry that you got caught. Here's the difference between penitence and repentance. Um, Judas was penitent. He was sorry. He was so sorry for what he did that he hung himself. Peter was repentant. So there's, a, there's a huge difference. One is just a feeling of sorrow, but the other is a recognition of truth. This is not true. This is true. I wanna give myself to what is true. Repentance is sorrow that brings us to a realization of our need for grace. Uh, you can be penitent without embracing truth, but you can't be repentant without embracing truth. The second thing that repentance is not, repentance is not penance. Similar word, different, Penance is an effort on our part to atone for what we've done. Penitence, I'm, I just feel bad. I'm just sorry, I'm sorry that I did that. Penance is I'm gonna make up for it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do so many good things that you forget about the bad things that I did. And so 
Penance is an effort on our part to atone for what we've done, but here's the problem, you can't. There's no amount of good works that you can do that will atone for your sin. It's impossible. So repentance includes the understanding that you cannot atone for your own sin. And, and that is part of the truth that brings us to faith. Now, when there is true repentance, you will want to make things right. So there will be some penance, maybe, that will follow your true repentance. That happened with Zacchaeus. Remember the story of Zacchaeus when Jesus goes home with him and Zacchaeus has this encounter with Jesus and it changes his life. He gives back money that he had taken from people and even gives back with interest uh, to people that he had stolen from. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. But his encounter with Jesus changed his life and changed his heart and the Holy Spirit told him to do that. And so he did it. Um, now, a third thing that repentance is not, repentance is not reformation. Uh, now, they're, they're connected, but reformation is an outward change, and repentance really is a, an inward work of God on the soul. Now, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And metanoia uh, really means a change of mind or a change of attitude. Uh, some people would describe it as a change of perspective. And, and it implies a complete reversal of someone's inward attitude, resulting in a change of direction. And so if you're going in this direction with your life and you have metanoia, it's Suddenly, oh, I'm going in, a, in, a, in this direction and this is an untrue direction. This is not the direction that God wants me to go in. This is not uh, what God has called me to. This is not what God, pe God wants people to do. This is not, I'm not living the way God wants people to live. And so you don't just ask God to forgive you for going in that direction and keep going in that direction. But metanoia is a change. It's a change of mind, it's a change of direction, it's a change of perspective. And so you go, oh, I'm going the wrong way. God wants me to go that way. God, help me. I wanna go this way. Give me the strength and the grace. And so metanoia would include a change of direction because you see that you're walking in a way that is a lie and you wanna walk in a way that is the truth. Some have said that the best definition of metanoia is change in perspective. And if there's anything that our world needs right now, it's metanoia. We need a change in perspective. Uh, in our context, uh, the reading, uh, in our context regarding what we call repentance, uh, metanoia would mean changing our perspective about God. It would mean changing our perspective about ourselves and it would mean changing our perspective about sin. And so, as I said before, Jesus has said, come follow me. And he is saying, lay down your life and come follow me, go, go where I'm going. And some of us have misinterpreted that 
And we, we even used the language, I invited Jesus into my life. Well, guess what? Jesus doesn't wanna be invited into your life. He wants you to be invited into his life, which is so much better. So his invitation is, come and follow me. In Romans 2, where we, where we just read, uh, Paul says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. As I said, he's writing to Jews who believed that because they were in covenant, that they could do whatever they wanted, and they had these Gentiles among them that had come to faith, and they're judging the Gentiles for doing things that they're also doing. And Paul is saying that God's goodness and kindness is, leads us to surrender. God's goodness and kindness leads us to the place of truth to surrender our lives to him. Sometimes over and over and over again. We can't be careless or self-righteous towards sin. Our only posture that we can hold towards sin as a believer is repentance. So Paul is saying, you guys are being cavalier. You, you think that you're above judgment and you're judging others when in fact you're doing the same things that they're doing. You need to repent. And so his message to us, and hear this, his message today to the church is, okay, I know there's a lot in the world that is driving you nuts. There are things that you see every day. If you watch the news, if you, you know, whatever you, you do, wherever you get your information, there are things that are driving you crazy and that you, you point at, this is wrong and this is wrong and that is wrong. And what Paul is saying is be careful as you do that, that you don't forget to look in the mirror and to see, are you living in this constant state of repentance where you are inviting Jesus to transform your life, where you are surrendering Jesus. You're surrendering your life to him as completely as you can, and then the next day realizing, okay, as, as completely as I could yesterday is a little bit less than what I can do today. And so I'm gonna go a little more today and then a little more the next. Have you ever hit a spot in your life where you realized, okay, this part of my life is completely surrendered to God, but this part of my life is completely surrendered to me. And that is part of this process of repentance, recognizing that maybe you've invited Jesus into your house, but there's a room, you know, way back in the back corner, and, and it's, you probably don't even have a light in there because you don't really wanna see what goes on in there. It kind of stays hidden. You certainly don't take company there. And that's your, that's your room. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, I don't wanna just be welcomed into the front room of your house. I want the whole thing. I want it all. John the Baptist came and he said that, he talked about laying the ax to the root of the tree. You ever, you ever think about that? Laying the ax to the root of the tree. Why, why would you lay an ax to the root of a tree? Why not just cut off the branches? Because it's not just the branches that are sick. You lay an ax to the root of the tree because you want to kill the whole tree because the entire tree is sick and you want to kill it. If you don't lay the ax to the root, it just grows back. And he's saying, lay the ax to the root of the tree because the entire tree is rotten and bad trees produce bad fruit. And that message to us is die. That really is the message. The message to us is die. Jesus doesn't come into this world and, and die on a cross and come out of the grave on the third day so that he can dress up our lives. He doesn't come so that he can tweak your life a little bit, improve your life a little bit, or even repair the broken parts of your life. Jesus lived and died and was raised on the third day to end your life, to put you in the grave that he came out of so that he could bring you out of it as well. Following him starts with dying and being made alive by him. We don't need dressing up. We need death and resurrection. We have to be born again. So where are you? Who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? Are, are there places in your life? Are there areas in your life where you've maybe slipped back on the throne? Places that at some point in your life you said, God, everything, everything is yours. And now you, if you did an inventory, you would realize there are a few things I've taken back charge of? Are there areas of life that you've shut him out of? Things that maybe you even have a hard time justifying. You'd rather they just remain secret and you certainly don't want to invite him into them. He wants to be the Lord of all of your life. And there are two reasons why he wants to be the Lord of all of your life. Number one is, he is the Lord of everything. I mean, does that make sense? Does it even make sense that he would be the Lord of all? That he would be the Lord of lords? That he would be the Lord of everything, but he would only want part of you? Not, not even logical. The second reason is because he alone can lead you into full life now and the eternal life to come. 
And that's what he wants for you. He alone is able to lead you into the fullness that he has for you now and the eternity that he has prepared for you in the time to come. He wants it all. Not part of your life, all of it. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that um, by your grace, we would learn to live in this perpetual state of repentance. Just with every day that passes, when, as by your spirit, you bring to light areas in our life that are not surrendered. Areas where we are sitting on the throne, where we're in charge. Maybe I've given you the spiritual part of my life, but no, my hobbies, God, my hobbies belong to me. Help us, Lord, to surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite our teams to come and get in place. And uh, I, I just encourage you today, if you, you know, if you realize today, you know, that's, that's pretty true of me. There, there are parts of my life that I've taken back ownership of, and I wanna re-surrender those things. Maybe there are places that you just would rather stay hidden, and you've kind of shoved them to the back, back room, back in the back corner of the house, that you need to just bring them to the Lord and say, hey, I want, I want to give you this as well. You know, it could be that there's something uh, that, that you're really ashamed of, and that's why you keep it hidden. And, and guess what he could do? He could, he could take it away, and then you wouldn't have to be ashamed of it anymore. So just encourage you to come. Uh, allow one of these teams to pray for you. Uh, they would love to do that. Uh, if you want to come and, and just kneel uh, here in the front on one of these cushions and pray, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, but I, I, I would encourage you that even after you do that, after you spend some time alone with the Lord, to, to find one of these teams and let them uh, pray with you and help you. All right? Um, who we got back here? We got some guys back here helping us? Oh, yeah. We got like the whole, the whole enchilada back here. So they're going to lead us in some worship and uh, just encourage you to engage God's presence. Worship is not something we do at the beginning and, and then stop. You know, it's not just like the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes of, of the service. Worship is who we are, y'all. We, we live in his presence. We have an opportunity to live in his presence all the time. So let's just engage his presence during this time. And like I said, come for prayer. Uh, if, if you're sitting by a friend and you want to just turn to them and, and have them pray for you, you can do that. And uh, we just want to, all of us, just inventory are the places that you need to resubmit. All right. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love the way you work. We invite you to search our hearts, just, just like David said, search me, show me. Show, show me what's inside of me. If there's anything unclean, anything in me that's living in rebellion, show me that, Lord. I want all of me to belong to you. In Jesus' name.